0: There's a story I heard recently about a boy who had a pet lizard, and the uh, lizard was the boy's first pet, and he loved it as much as anything. He had his uh, mom get on the internet to uh, get some tips on how to uh, care for this lizard because he, he loved it so much, and he tried his best day and night to do just that, but like it is with many lizards... After several months, his eventually contracted a disease that turned out to be fatal, and the boy was devastated. His first pet that he owned had died in a matter of months, and his dad felt so bad for the boy that he decided to work with his son to give his lizard a proper burial. They got a shoebox And they decorated it up and placed the lizard in it. And the dad and the son dug a hole in the backyard to bury him. And as they were digging, the boy began to cry uncontrollably. And when his dad tried to console him, the boy yelled out, Dad, it's not going to do any good. Even if we plant him, I seriously doubt he's going to grow again. You see, though this boy was young and a bit naive, one truth this boy had received from his few short years in life is that death is permanent. It is fixed. It is unalterable. This boy was convinced that he was never going to see his poor lizard ever again no matter what he did. That's a pretty mature perspective for a young boy to have, right? That's how many view life in general in our world today, especially when talking about human life. Many believe that death is permanent for people the same way it is for all living things. Dr. William Provine, who was uh, the professor of the history of biology at Cornell University, he passed away this uh, past September He went to great lengths throughout his time as professor there to disprove the existence of God. Provine was uh, very open about the fact that he did not believe that God exists and therefore did not believe that there was any deep meaning in human life. He once summed up life in this way. Look at this quote on on the screen here. He said, we live, we die, and we're gone we're absolutely gone when we die it's pretty dim isn't it but it is consistent i believe consistently wrong but consistent if you conclude that there is no god well if you have your bibles turn to first corinthians chapter 15. we are continuing through our easter series through first corinthians 15 entitled jesus's resurrection and ours and this morning We're going to shift gears a bit, and we're going to turn our focus toward the future resurrection that is coming for all who are in Christ. We're going to be looking at verses 35 through 49 this morning. For the past few weeks, we have talked about the fact that there were these group of Christians at Corinth who reasoned in this way, in the way Dr. Provine and others have reasoned, at least when it came to the body. They believed that death was permanent for the body. They believed in Christ's bodily resurrection from the dead, but they believed that was unique. He was the exception. Though they believed in some sort of future existence with them, they believed that what happened to Christ was unrelated to them. They denied the future physical bodily resurrection of the godly. And like I've been explaining to you over the past few weeks, the church in Corinth was one messy, messed-up church. And one of their problems was that they were being influenced by the teachings of the outside and unbelieving world. And the church often falls prey to this, doesn't it? And this church did. There were a group of believers in the church at this time who had apparently adopted this Greek philosophy of philosophical dualism. Remember, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, and I explained that this particular philosophy taught that all material, all matter is evil. The material world is evil. That includes our bodies, and the spiritual world and our spiritual self is evil. Is good. That's what many Greeks believed. They taught that one's body is bad, one's spirit is good. And because this was their worldview, they believed that when one died, their evil material body rotted away, went away forever, while their good, clean spirit remained. And the Corinthians had been greatly influenced by this pagan belief, which is why they were questioning the future resurrection of God's people. So in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul, knowing this is where they are doctrinally, makes a detailed and thorough argument in favor of the physical bodily resurrection of Christ and of his people. For the past two weeks, we have seen Paul has been building this argument, first by talking about the resurrection of Jesus. In verses 1 through 11, he gives the evidence for the resurrection and then last week in the passage we looked at last week verses 12 through 34 he explains the importance of it now why does he do that why does he start there we we know they already believed in the physical resurrection of Christ so why does Paul start there well we said that he knew that if they would see the evidence for Christ's resurrection and understand the importance of it and how it relates to them, they would begin to see the likelihood of their own. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 12, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Paul shows his readers in the first half of 1 Corinthians 15, that there is this seamless connection between the resurrection of Christ and the future resurrection of believers on the final day. So that's why Paul opens this chapter by discussing the resurrection of Jesus. In today's passage, he shifts gears a bit. Today, we're getting into the heart of Paul's argument. In this passage, Paul is going to address the real issue at hand, the issue of the future resurrection of the godly, but he does so in a unique way. Notice here that instead of laying out all the reasons why this doctrine is true, instead of doing that, Paul gives a description of what this future resurrection is going to be like. Now, why does he take that approach? I mean, if they don't believe in it, what's the point in explaining what it's going to be like? Here's the reason why. Because the text implies that the Corinthians already knew what Paul believed on the matter. They they knew he believed in this future resurrection of the godly. In the second half of the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul, for the most part, is just addressing questions that have been sent to him by the Christians in Corinth. And they ask him about a wide range of things. They asked him questions about relationships, questions about Christian liberties, the role of men and women, about spiritual gifts. And they had apparently asked a couple of questions about the resurrection. And with some of their questions, the Christians at Corinth apparently made it known to Paul that they were already decided on many of these issues. Their mentality was, We'll hear what you have to say, Paul, but our mind is pretty much made up on the matter. In verse 35, Paul begins this passage by saying, look here, verse 35, 1 Corinthians 15, he says, But someone will ask, quotations, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? End quote. So, notice the quotations here. Apparently, Paul had been asked this question before by a few in Corinth, and his harsh response in verse 36 implies that this question was being asked with sarcastic skepticism rather than honest uncertainty. They were asking sort of jokingly, all right, Paul, you want to talk about a future physical bodily resurrection from the dead? Tell us, how exactly can that happen? They were were asking like sarcastic skeptics rather than honest doubters. They were like, what future use do we have with a rotting, decaying body? We've seen the body waste away. We know it's not eternal. How's that going to happen, Paul? They thought it was ridiculous. Many of them were probably thinking, man, Paul is sharp in a lot of ways, but he's way off his rocker on this. Well, notice Paul's response in verse 36. He says, you foolish person. Like how he just lays it out there. You, you fools. Why so harsh? Again, because Paul knew they were, they were mockingly asking this question probably laughing as they ask it and Paul says you fools you think you're so smart but you don't understand the first thing about the resurrection and because they didn't Paul follows by explaining to them what the resurrection is going to be like so they'll have a better understanding of it and hopefully embrace it believe in it and teach it to others first he says this If you knew anything about the resurrection, you would know, point number one, your future body will be unique and remarkable. Look at the end of verse 36 and verse 37. Paul says, What you sow does not come to life, unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. Now, if you read this this last week or just a moment ago, you're probably thinking to yourself, what on earth is Paul talking about here? I mean, he's talking about sowing and bearing kernels and and wheat. What's he talking about? Well, remember in this passage, once again, Paul is not giving an argument for the bodily resurrection of the godly, but he is trying to describe it, and he does so here by using an illustration, and this illustration, when we really study it, is as clear as any Paul gives. He basically says, look, you should have no more trouble with understanding the resurrection than you do understanding the concept of harvest." He says, when you go out and sow a seed, it first has to go down into the ground. And you know that the plant that comes from that seed looks different. God gives it a unique look that he has determined, but it still comes from that seed. He says, the same is true of the future resurrection of the godly though our bodies go into the ground our new bodies are going to come up out of the ground and though we will be the same person we will be different we will be unique we will have unique bodies and believers the only example that we have of this so far is is jesus right and we don't know how to exactly apply all of these things about Jesus in his post-resurrection ministry, how that applies to us. But we do know that Jesus was the same, but he was also unique, wasn't he? That was true of Christ. And Paul says it'll be true of us. He explains to us that this body that we have right now will age and, and wear out and one day go into the grave. But he also tells us there's coming a day when we are going to burst forth, believers, those of us trusting in Christ, we're going to bust forth out of that grave in a physical and bodily sense and will exist in a similar yet unique and more glorious way. Look at verse 38. Paul says, But God gives it a body. underline that, but God gives it a body as He has chosen, and to each kind of seed, its own body. Now, here Paul basically makes an important but but very very basic point, very easy point. He assures the Corinthians who will probably take what he has just said in verses 36 and 37 and just talk it to death. He assures him this entire process is in God's hands. It's mysterious. It's, it's in God's hands. God is the one who, who gives these bodies, okay? So it's, it's a process. It's a divine process. First, they thought the concept of a resurrected body that is rotting and decaying was ridiculous. They thought, how does that work? And after going into some explanation here, Paul imagines there will be more questions. Questions like, what will be different? How will we be different? Will he renew the old or will he make us new from scratch? Paul is anticipating all these types of questions and he just assures them it's in God's hands. It's it's mysterious. It's, It's with God. It'll be accomplished by him. Our new resurrected bodies will be bodies that he will give us. Look at verse 39 through 41. Paul says, For not all flesh is the same but there is one kind for humans another for animals another for birds another for fish there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another there is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars for star differ from star in glory wow what a passage there Many of the Corinthians were were wondering how this resurrection is possible, and now they're probably wondering, how can we possibly have a, a unique, different body? In this incredible passage, Paul shows us the creativity of our God. He shows the Corinthians that they need to have a bigger view of God than they do. He says God has made all kinds of bodies, hasn't he? celestial bodies, terrestrial bodies heavenly bodies, earthly bodies human bodies, animal bodies bodies made for land, bodies made for the air, bodies made for the sea. He says don't you dare limit God how can he do it? He's God like Paul says in verse 38, get this God can give anybody any body he wants picking on my oldest here When Ava was first learning to draw, and I have to specify this because she's in here. This is a long time ago, okay? But when she was first learning to draw several years ago, she would draw the same thing every time. And it was a stick man, sort of. Here's a picture of it. I have an Ava Grace original. Long time ago. Long time ago. Her drawing is excellent nowadays. But she would draw these all the time. Now, the eyes may be a little bit bigger, he may be a little bit taller, but for the most part, she would draw pages upon pages of, of this guy here. She was limited in what she could do. And we're limited, aren't we? Some of us are more limited creatively than others, and I'll be the first to tell you I'm, as, I'm probably the most limited in this room, I guarantee you, when it comes to that. But, but we're all limited to an extent. What we can do, right? Not true of our God. God does not operate on an assembly line. He is not stuck with any old model. In verse 40 and 41, Paul continues to show God's creativity by describing the uniqueness of earthly bodies like mountains and canyons and oceans and heavenly bodies like the sun and the moon and the stars. He explains how they're all different and uniquely remarkable. God has limitless capabilities. He can do anything He pleases. There are no limits to our God. Paul goes on to say in verse 42, look at this, So it is with the resurrection of the dead. Paul's point here is that God has made you and me unique and extraordinary and will one day raise us up believers to be a different kind a better kind of remarkable I mean just look around the room right now look at everybody in here I mean behold the the uniqueness and the creativity of our God right we all look different you know what God's not done believers there is a future transformation of you that is unique to you. There is a future transformation of me that is unique to me. That's what Paul's saying here. So he's just putting these guys in their place, right? He says, if you knew anything about the resurrection, you would know that. You would know that your future body will be unique and remarkable. Second point Paul makes here is this. He says, if you guys knew anything about the resurrection, you would also know that your future body will be new and improved. This is great news. Can't believe I didn't get an amen out of that. Some of y'all know this more than others, right? It's good news. Look at the second half of verse 42 through 43. Paul says, what is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. What is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. Let's stop there for just a minute. Notice the contrasts that Paul uses here. Sown perishable, raised imperishable. Sown in dishonor, raised in glory. Sown in weakness, raised in power. First, Paul makes the point that our present bodies are falling apart. Amen? Yeah. Some of you realize this more than others. And for others of you, you'll realize it soon enough. Trust me. I used to think I was the exception, but I'm learning the hard way. That's not the case. Truth is, from birth, our body begins aging. And it doesn't ever work as good as it once did and one day our bodies will wear out and we are going to die. Believers, there is coming a day when our bodies are going to take a dirt nap. That's just the truth of the matter. God's Word is clear on this. But Paul also says, though that happens, there is also coming a day when God is going to raise us up, believers, to an imperishable and eternal state. He says... What is buried in dishonor is raised in glory. Listen, when God created man, he made himself visible through him and her. He created man and woman in his likeness, in his image. But that image has been marred, it's been disfigured by sin. But though that image of God in us has been tainted, it's still there. And he has made a way for us to be restored back to him through his son, Jesus. And he tells us in his word that if we will trust in his son alone for our salvation, there is coming a day, believers, when our body is gonna come out of the grave in glory. What a day that'll be when the graves give up God's children. He says, sown in weakness, raised in power. We are reminded of our limitations on a daily basis, right? We are victimized by the world around us, by the environment where we live. Now, I had bad allergies before moving here, but they're like 10 times worse says moving behind the Pine Curtain of East Texas I'm in my fourth year of allergy shots, and I have to give my shots, uh, I have to give myself shots each and every week. and I can't hear out of this ear right now, and I'm my, my voice uh, when the weather changes, so does my voice. So yeah, we're victimized by the environment in which we live, right? Sometimes we're victimized by the the things we eat, the people around us, the stresses of life. We're weak, yet Paul says we'll be raised in power. The limitations we have today will be non-existent in the life to come, believers. You see, Scripture is clear. God is going to one day restore things back to the way they were, but better, and that includes our bodies. Our future bodies will be new and improved. They'll be eternal, magnificent, and Powerful. Well, Paul's not finished with this point. Look at verse 44. He says it is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Again, he's showing us what the grave truly reveals about our bodies. He's already explained to us that the grave shows us to be perishable and dishonorable and weak. And here in verse 44, Paul also shows us that the grave reveals the fact that we are natural. This body that you have and I have, it's suited for this life and this life only. Yet our spiritual bodies that God is going to raise up in the last days will be suited for the next life as well adapted as our bodies are for this life and they're, they're not very well adapted in a lot of ways but but uh, they're made for this life all the more in the life to come our, our new bodies, improved bodies will be suited perfectly for the next life and that day our new bodies will fit into a new kind of life a new level of life a new dimension of life a new dimension of existence beyond anything we have ever experienced now we don't know again the ins and outs of of what it's going to be like but we know it's going to be good right we know it's going to be incredible in verses 45 through 47 Paul ends this passage by illustrating this point he says this thus it is written The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. Here's Paul's point. First, he explains that when Adam was born, he was given a natural body. Though he was without sin, he was not in a glorified state. He was in a trial state. His body that he had was fashioned for this world. It was natural. It was of the dust. It was earthy. And when he sinned against God, God brought on all these other limitations as well that we discussed in verses 42 through 43 that come in this life as a result of sin and, and the fall. But notice what Paul says in the second half of each of these verses. This is great. He makes a contrast here between the first Adam and the second Adam. And the second Adam is Jesus, okay? When he talks about the second Adam, that's talking about Jesus. He says, the last Adam, the second Adam, however, became a life-giving spirit. The second man is from heaven. He says, though the first Adam became a living being, the last Adam, which is a reference to Christ again, he became a life-giving spirit. His point here is that whereas Adam was created with a natural body, Jesus was raised with the spiritual one, you see? Let's keep breaking this down. He says the first man was from the earth. A man of dust. The second man is from heaven. Adam was made from the dust on the ground. But Jesus descended from heaven to earth. And then he ascended back to heaven. Now there was a time when Jesus took on flesh and lived among us. But Christ has eternally existed as God the Son with the Father. So Adam is tied to the earth. Christ is tied to heaven. Now look at verses 48 and 49. Underline these, highlight them. Some great verses here. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. That's bad news. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. That's the glorious news. Verse 49. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. His point is very, very simple. We talked about it last week. What's true of Adam is true of us. Remember, we are in Adam by birth. Therefore, what Adam had, we have. He was a man of dust. So are we. He was natural. So are we. He was perishable. So are we. He was weak. So are we. But though that's the case, get this believers, what is true of Christ is true of us who are in Christ by faith. Though we are in Adam by birth, believers, we are in Christ by faith. Therefore, not only are we of the dust, but we also have ties to heaven because we have ties to Christ through faith in him alone. Because of our connection with and relationship with Christ, we have ties to heaven. How wonderful is that? But not only that, verse 49 We are guaranteed a future existence like his, a future body like his, one that is imperishable and heavenly and honorable and powerful and glorious. So believers, in Adam we are earthy and have a natural body, but in Christ we are heavenly. We have a spiritual one. How great is that? It's great news, isn't it? That's the kind of body we're going to have. A new and improved, imperishable and pure body, just like our Lord's. And we need to live with that truth in mind. You know what? We're so attached to our present bodies, aren't we? Everywhere you turn, you see commercials on TV and ads in magazines on how to improve the look of this body. There are pills you can take, creams you can use, surgeries you can have, foods you can eat, exercises you can do to improve the look and state of this body. And don't hear me say that eating right and exercise is a bad thing. I'm not saying that, but the point I'm making is this. We're so attached to this body and we put all of our time and effort into looking like we once did instead of believers living with the future in mind and striving to become, who we're going to be like in Jesus. That's to be our focus. Believers, we are to live this day with that day in mind. We are to pursue godliness. We are to chase after what we will be like in Christ and long for that day when we will be raised to be like Him and raised to live for Him forever, for all eternity. And I pray If you didn't have it already coming in today, you leave today with that new outlook on life, that new perspective that you seek more than anything else to see the inner man improved. And if you're here this morning, you don't yet have this hope because you're still tied to the earthly man, the natural man, Adam, rather than being connected with the heavenly man, the man from above Jesus, I pray that changes this morning. I pray your allegiances change this morning. I pray this morning that you move from living for yourself to living for the Lord, that you move from self to the Savior this morning, that your allegiances change. Listen, Jesus lived, died, and was raised. So that you could do likewise. If you would turn from your sin, forsake your sin, turn your life up and over to Jesus, turn that life that is opposed to God over to him and trust in Christ alone as your Lord and Savior. Listen, you can have this future hope of a life, spiritual and physical and eternal life with the Lord. You can possess the hope that I've been talking about today of being raised to be like him and to live with him and for him for all eternity. If you would make this decision to turn from your sin and place your faith and trust in Christ alone. If you've never done that, I pray that you would this morning. Let's pray.